Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 in its content, like Psalm 1, it presents to us two different ways or two different paths, two different roads that men will take in relation to God. Psalm 52 is also similar to the second psalm in that it reminds us of the utter foolishness and futility in the way of self and the way of sin, or we could call it a way of fear. That's a path away from God, a path in defiance of God. If you look at the superscript there, it's a long one. I think maybe the longest we've seen so far. Right under the number Psalm 52, it says, to the chief musician. And um, while the additional phrases after this, it refers to a very specific event in David's life, uh, an experience that was private, and you and I may never experience exactly what he did here. The truths in this psalm are general enough and applicable enough for us to also get some truth on it and to ascend in trajectory from fear to faith. It's God's desire. Whenever we see to the chief musician, that's an indication that this was a song meant to be sung in corporate worship. Well, we don't know the tune, so we won't do that, but we do know the lyrics, and we'll study them together this evening with a desire to benefit from its application to us. It says it's a mass skill. That's a uh, the genre, meaning it's a teaching psalm. Sometimes we have praise psalms, we have messianic psalms. This one is a teaching or instructive song to impart wisdom to us. And it says of David, he's a human author, God inspired to write its every word to us. And then the historical context for it. Sometimes we get that in these superscripts. It says, when Doeg, the Edomite, came and told Saul and said unto him, David, is come to the house of Ahimelech. We won't have time to look at it, but if you're interested in the background, it's in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. Let's read it. Psalm 52. Why boasteth thou thyself in mischief, almighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually. The tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Selah. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue, and God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living, Selah. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, this is a man that made not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and, and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. And I will wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. Before we study it together, let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we study this, I pray your Holy Spirit that's present here in the lives of believers. Um, also on those watching on live stream. God, I pray that you would illuminate the truth of this psalm. 
You contrast here the way of self, the way of sin, the way of fear, and the way of salvation, the way of faith. Uh, I pray that if there's one watching tonight or listening and they're on the way of self, that they would leave that and come to the way of salvation. May this be the day of salvation for them. Lord, for us who are on the way of salvation, I pray that you would use this psalm to show us the futility and foolishness. Because so many times what we see is the alluring side of that road, the seeming success of those on that road. God, help our focus to be fixed and uh, drive us onward on the way of salvation. Use your word tonight to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Verses 1 through 5 describe the way of self. We could also call it a way of fear. And then verse 1 describes the character of those people who are on it. It says, Why boasteth thou thyself in mischief? So those who are on the way of self, on this way of fear, can be best or most succinctly characterized as proud and arrogant people. It says, Why boasteth thou thyself in mischief? And it's interesting to note that uh, while those on this way, that is away from God, They not only boast in their power, that's what verses 2 through 4 talk about. They not only boast in their riches, that's what verse 7 references, but they even boast in their sin. The Hebrew word for mischief there in verse 1, it means sin or or evil and pertains to sinful or evil actions. Doeg, the one to whom David is referring here in verse 1, he took his boasting to this godless, self-promoting, self-exalting level. He was actually bragging about his sin, bragging about his capacity to do evil, praising it for all that it had brought him in this life, the seeming success that it gave him on this way of self. And our prayer should be, God, help us to never be so brazen or rebellious as to boast in our sinful actions rather than confessing and repenting of them, forsaking them. It's an attitude of arrogance if we were to do so. A clear evidence that we're on the way of self. We're, we're living in fear and on a way that's headed away from God. God help us to never even boast in our power, as Doeg did, or boast in our possessions. Instead, I pray that we'd obey Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. God says there, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth, or let him that boasteth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, judgment, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. And to follow God's instruction right there in Jeremiah 9 is to find ourselves not on the way of self, not on the way of fear, but on the way of salvation, on this way of faith. Verse 1 wraps up with a description of Doeg as a mighty man. A mighty man. And that he was. Luther translated it this way. He called it a tyrant. He was a mighty man. He had power. Doeg had influence. He had riches. All of those things, ill-gotten gains, seeming success through a history of, of treachery, and violence toward others. But what, what Doeg didn't have, what he lacked that, that placed him on this way of self and fear and, and allowed him to continue on this way of self and fear 
He lacked the goodness of God, what it describes there at the end of verse one. The goodness of God endureth continually. Why would you boast in sin? Why would you boast in anything when the goodness of God is available to you? The goodness of God, the, the Hebrew word there is the one we've referenced a lot. I don't know why lately, but when we're studying amazing grace and, and a right response to grace, it's, it's a Hebrew word chesed, God's covenant love, his mercy, his steadfast love, his loving kindness. It's translated many different ways in different versions. But with hardness of heart and with a love for the gain of this world, Doeg rejected the goodness of God. He rejected God's grace. He rejected God's mercy. It was available to him. The goodness of God, it endureth continually. It's available to anyone, but he rejected it. And the same goodness was embraced by David. It was embraced by the priest Ahimelech. It was embraced by the priest um, that served under Ahimelech. It's, it's embraced by all who will trust Christ rather than the things of this world. You can never forget, what does it say there? It endureth continually. It's a treasure that is forever and ever God's grace is. It protects those who trust in it from ever losing what it offers. It's eternal. It's priceless. It's a, it's a treasure definitely not worth denying by choosing the way of self, the way of sin, this way of fear, by choosing what this world has to offer. Psalm 52, verses 2 and 4 describes their conduct. Verse 1 was their character. Here's their conduct. And it's remarkable that in describing the conduct of those on the way of self here, the main emphasis is on sins of the tongue. We already seen boasting in verse 1. But each verse here, in verse 2 and 3 and 4, it reveals sins of speech describing the conduct of those on the way of self. And if we had time to go back to the historical record there in 1 Samuel 21 and 22, what Doeg was guilty of is a lot more than just speech. I mean, because of what he said, Saul came and questioned Ahimelech. And then he told his soldiers to kill Ahimelech and all of the priests there at Nob. And they wouldn't do it. They balked at his command. But Doeg picked up the sword and he did it. Slayed all of them. Destroyed, killed everyone in the city of Nob. Raised it to the ground. But here in verses two through four, when describing the conduct of those on the way of self, it's, it's sins of speech that are highlighted. Describing and condemning the conduct of those on this path. Why do you think that is? Well, maybe because that's where all this sin started. <laughs> I mean, yes, those priests were violently assassinated, but they might not ever had been had Doeg not initiated their deaths with his tongue. Verse 2, a tongue that devises mischief. Verse 3, a tongue that has a love for lying. It doesn't just lie, but it has a love for doing it. And uh, verse 4, a love for devouring words. The word devouring there means to swallow up. Same word used in the book of Jonah, describing what happened to Jonah. And we've got to heed God's warning here. This is a revelation that those who are on the way of self, they live in this kind of conduct. Verse 2 says their tongues are planning sins and planning evil like a sharp razor. A potent description of the destructive power that our tongues can have. And God had David's own son Solomon teach us in Proverbs 18, 21 that both death and life are in the power of our tongue. In James 3, 8, it warns us that the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil. It's full of deadly poison. And it was just that for the priests who were wrongly accused and then assassinated by Doeg. 
and his love for and use of evil via the tongue, it's a quintessential conduct for those who are on the way of self, the way of sin, this way of fear. And it's true that the tongue can no man tame. <laughs> Only those who are on the way of salvation, the way of faith. Well, the Holy Spirit of God can use the word of God to tame the tongue into what God's design is for it. Remember, it said in Proverbs, both death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's God's design for it, to impart life and healing and reconciliation. If we look at verse 5, God shall likewise destroy thee, Doeg, and anyone else who's on the way of self, the way of sin, the way of fear. He'll destroy thee forever, shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living, Selah. So it's here we find the destiny, the end. Every road's got an end. And here's the end of those who are on the road or on the way of self. Condemnation. Destruction. Verse 5 says, God shall likewise. What does the likewise mean? Just like Doeg made an end on this earth, those 85 priests, well, God will likewise destroy Doeg and those who are on the way of self. But here's where it isn't likewise. Here's where it isn't likewise. It's a forever destruction for them. For those priests, the moment that they fell to the sword of Doeg, immediate transportation to their eternal reward, to glory forever, and eternal life. Not so for those on the way of self. There is an end. The end is destruction. To gain approval with King Saul, to increase his own power and his position and possessions, Doeg betrayed Ahimelech, and he betrayed the other priests there at Nob. He betrayed David. Most importantly, he betrayed God. He spoke half-truths. How, do God, how does God see half-truths? Outright lies. <laughs> That's what Doeg did. He went to Saul and he said, I saw David come to Ahimelech for help. That's all he said. Not completely wrong. In fact, there was no lie right there. It's just that it wasn't the whole truth. The whole truth was Ahimelech didn't know that there was any kind of tension between Saul and David. He had never seen David be anything but loyal to Saul, and David was not anything but loyal to Saul. But he inferred, he implied as an informer in his speech, the sins of his tongue wound up getting Ahimelech and all these priests killed. He might have destroyed the priests, but their, their destruction was momentary. The destruction of those on the way of self, the way of sin, the way of fear, when it comes, it's a destruction forever. That's what verse 5 says. Likewise, he will destroy thee forever. It's a forever taking away. It's a forever plucking thee out of thy dwelling place, rooting thee out of the land of the living. It's forever. There's no more hope. <laughs> No more opportunity when you come to the end of that road. There's no one more chance to choose the way of salvation. That happens here in this life. And picture in these condemnational phrases here in verse 5, these phrases of the destruction that comes at the end of the road to self, it's, it's, it's a forever thing. It says it'll tear you up like you tear up a weed out in the yard or in the garden, completely torn up by the roots. It's not going to live. Never again. And so it's not worth it. The ill-gotten gains that Doeg had, that he pursued and that he hoarded, this way of fear, its only concern is to get as much as I can. That's why I call it a way of fear. This way of self, this, this way of sin, it's a way of fear. It's all about getting what I can and getting what's mine at any cost to anybody else. It's, it's a fear of self-preservation that doesn't actually ever 
preserve self. Instead, it leads to destruction. This is what God says. So that's the negative way that God's going to contrast. Now he offers us the other way, the positive way, the way of salvation in verses 6 through 9. In verses 6 and 7, talk about the character of those on this way. First of all, in verse 6, it describes the response of the righteous to the way of the wicked and to those on it, those who are arrogantly boasting in their sin and their seeming success by this world's standards and values. And it says they will see, and they will fear, and they will laugh. If you're on the way of salvation, if you are not the way of salvation, it is because at some point in your life, you've seen its priceless worth, that it was the right way. The Holy Spirit, he took the word of God, and he opened your blinded eyes to the foolishness and the futility of the way of self. And you saw Jesus. <laughs> and you saw what he offers and what he promises and what he delivers. And it's our commission and it's our privilege since we have seen that to be used of God to help others see it. That's what Psalm 52 is doing here. It's helping us see the contrast. And when we saw, what did we begin to do? We began to fear Fear in a good way, a fear of God, a fear that Proverbs talks about as the beginning of wisdom and the basis for our turning from the way of self to the way of salvation. As we sing in the, I think the second and third verse of Amazing Grace, it was grace that taught my heart to fear him. <laughs> and it was grace that my fears relieved. This fear on the way of self, the self-preservation type of fear. No longer do we live in a fear that drives people to the way of self and drives them onward in the way of self. That's a fear that manifests itself in boasting, like we've seen tonight, and covetousness, even in violence, a love for things of this world. No, we've got a new fear. We've got a healthy fear. We've got a reverence, a, a joyful, willing submission to the Almighty, and it propels us onward in the way of salvation. What about laugh? It says that those who are on the way of salvation, they'll see, they'll fear, and then they'll laugh. Why does God say that we will do this? And doesn't God tell us in Proverbs 17, 5, that whoever is glad at somebody else's calamities will be punished? He does. Ezekiel eighteen thirty two says that God himself has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why would we laugh? Well, the Hebrew word translated laugh, it means to celebrate. And this isn't a joy at someone's destruction. It's not it. <laughs> the love of Jesus and the love that we're supposed to reflect as followers of Jesus would prevent such a joy. But it is a celebration that wickedness is not allowed to triumph. It's a very different thing. Albert Barnes says in his commentary on this verse, it's not wrong for us to feel a sense of approval or even to offer praise to God when laws are maintained, and when justice is done, even if that means suffering to the person breaking the law or who is being unjust, because it's better that a rebellious man would suffer than righteousness would suffer. That's why we can celebrate when God's justice is done. In verse 7, it gives us one final contrast between those who are on the way of self and those who are on the way of salvation. It says, here is the character of those who are on the way of salvation in an opposite format. We see God as our strength. What did it say about this man? He didn't make God his strength. Uh, we trust, not in riches, <laughs> but in the abundance of the riches of his grace, his goodness to us, to the endureth continually. 
his cassette. That's what we trust in. We strengthen ourselves, not in sin like Doeg and those on the way of self do. No, we strengthen ourselves in the fruits of the Holy Spirit that he works in our lives. That's what we strengthen ourselves. And it's a way of faith. What about the conduct of those? Verse 8, the conduct of those who are on the way of salvation. Well, the imagery of verse 8, it takes us back, right back to Psalm 1. And that's pretty clear. Those who delight in the Lord, they're going to delight in his work. They're going to meditate in it day and night. And they'll be like a what? What does it say in Psalm 1? It'll be like a tree <laughs> that's planted by the rivers of water. It doesn't ever wither. It only prospers. It brings forth fruit. It brings forth fruit in its season. And those who choose the way of salvation, those who choose the way of faith, well, they're just as Psalm 1 and verse 8 describes. Or olive tree. I like olives. I like the purple ones more so. Krista doesn't like olives. You might not like olives. I don't know. Pick a tree. Your favorite tree. Maybe it's a pecan tree. This is the image God wants you to see. A beautiful, flourishing tree that's producing fruit. And as we mentioned way back in Psalm 1 when we studied that together, what is the whole point of fruit? Is it for the tree? No. It's to nourish. It's to, it's to feed others. <laughs> it's to reproduce. That's the point of our fruit. The point of our fruit. To call others who are on the way of self, who are on the way of sin, who are on the way of fear to come to the way of salvation. It says you'll be like a beautiful tree. I'm like a tree, a green olive tree in the house of God. Like if he's talking literally here, I don't think we ever have record necessarily of that. I looked around in Old Testament passages. If there's ever trees in the tabernacle, it couldn't be inside. You know, in the outer courts there could be. If it was, could there be a safer place for a tree? Right under God's providence, protection, his care, close to the presence of God. If, if, whether it's literal or figurative, the truth is the same. I'm like a tree in the house of God. I'm like under the protection of God, the watchful care in the eye of God. And um, eternal condemnation, destruction, that's what awaits those on the way of self, but those on the way of salvation, they live eternally protected by God, providing fruit for the good of others, for the glory of God. That's the conduct of those on the way of salvation, the way of faith. What about their confirmation? Those on the way of self, that end is condemnation. Our end is confirmation. What is the confirmation that this is the right way? That there's two paths. What makes us so sure that this is the right way? Well, it's our end. It's our end. It's not one of eternal condemnation and destruction, but it's one of eternal pardon and peace. Not just the absence of danger, but the presence of God's blessing. It's one not of praising or boasting ourselves like those on the way of self, but the eternal end of praising God. That's what verse 9 says, doesn't it? I will praise thee forever and ever. I can't help One of my favorite old-timey Southern Gospel songs while the ages roll, I'll keep on praising him with a voice that never tires or grows old. And my song will ever be praise the lamb who died for me. And I'm going to sing it while ages shall roll forever and ever. Eternal celebration in a, in a new heaven and a new earth. This is the end. This is a confirmation of the way of salvation, the way of faith. How can we be so sure that that's what's ahead of us? And this is so powerful. I love it when God's word does this. Look at what it says here in verse 9. 
I will praise thee forever and ever. Why? Because thou hast what? Has done it. Has <laughs> done it. Just like Romans 8.30. That those who are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, they will be called. And those who will be called will be justified. And those who will be justified, they will be glorified. Well, I'm not glorified yet. Yeah, you are. You're as good as glorified. I mean, that's how firm and fixed your end is in Jesus Christ. That's what he says here. Verse 9, loudly encourage us that our end is sure. Our end is fi fixed. Why? Because thou hast Done it. You've done it. I always, I'm forever telling you to look for Jesus in the Psalms. Well, here he is. As he hung on that tree, what did he say? It is finished. It's finished. And there's going to be a day when he comes and there'll be a voice from heaven that says, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's finished. <laughs> it's as good as done. So what are we to do? According to verse 9. So I'm going to wait on his name. What does it mean to wait on his name? It means I know his character and I know his conduct, who he is and what he does and what he will do for me. Man, don't leave the road of faith for the road of fear. Don't be swayed by the seeming success of those who are on the way of self. No, stay. Continue. To trust. Continue to live in faith and to reflect his character and conduct in your own. Because it says, it is good before thy saints. It's good to praise. I mean, it feels good to praise. It does. I'm glad we start off usually on Wednesday night with a couple of songs. It feels good to praise. God knows that. That's why he commands it. It's not because he's egocentric and needs anything from us. He tells us in his word that he's not served by human hands as though he needed anything. Why does he tell us to praise? Because it's good for us. It gives us joy. Our joy is incomplete until it's expressed. I was talking about somebody, talking about that with somebody just on Sunday. I watched the Packer game the other night. I ain't watched football in two years. I took a stand. I'm not watching football because of all the shenanigans going on. And then my Packers came on. It's quarterfinals. That's what she said. And I watched the game. But because I had taken that stand, I really didn't feel the liberty to text anyone when something good happened. So my joy was incomplete because it wasn't expressed. Well, it was expressed to her, but she didn't really care. Right? No, that's why God, it's good for thy saints. It's good to praise. It's good to wait that those who wait upon the Lord, he's going to renew their strength. They're going to mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll rest and not faint. No, it's good. This is how we encourage each other through praise and through waiting. We encourage each other on the way of salvation. This is how we encourage others to come on the way of salvation, the way of faith. You know, in Revelation 13, 10 and 14, 12, Jesus reveals to us, here is the patience and faith of the saints in a very, very dark time, a time that we won't be going through. But if it's applicable then, it's definitely applicable now in our dark time. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Where is here? Where is here? It's in trusting God's justice. I mean, can you imagine how David felt when Ahimelech helped him, gave him some food from the table of showbread? David says, do you have a weapon? I don't even have a weapon. <laughs> he says, all I got is Goliath's sword. David says, give it to me. There's none like it. He's trying to do what's right, help out one of God's people, and then Doeg betrays Ahimelech. 
Doeg loses his life. Where's the justice, God? Our heart cries out for justice. Well, where is here? Here is the patience and faith of the saints. It's entrusting God's justice. When he says it is done, that's justice delivered for you, but it's also justice delivered for those who reject the way of salvation. It's going to happen. It will. It's faith in his grace that will be rewarded with eternal life, but also faith that self and sin is going to result in condemnation and eternal death. The patience and faith of the saints, it's in, in choosing the way of salvation. It's continuing on in the way of faith. It's knowing that it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials like this, they're going to seem small when we see Christ. When we look at his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. We've got two different ways, two different paths leading to two very different ends here in Psalm 52. And it's important, our choice in these paths before us, because what we choose doesn't just affect us, it affects others. Whatever our choice is, so might the choice in the home be. And so might the choice in the church be. And whatever the choice in the church is, so will the choice in the community be. And so will the choice in the state be. And so will the choice in the nation be. And if we could have learned this, we might, be, might have avoided everything we're experiencing right now. One of these roads goes to condemnation and destruction eternally. The other one, to confirmation, to life eternally. If you're not on the way of salvation tonight, we'll come to it. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Confess your sins to him. Ask him to forgive you. Tell him you're going to follow him forever. Don't wait. Do it tonight. If you have questions about what that means on our church website, for anyone who's live streaming, you can just click to the main menu part, and there's a slide that will come across what it means to be saved. It's on the back of our church bulletin. If, if you have more questions, call Tommy or myself or Pastor Daniel or email us or text us. We want you to know for sure what it means to be saved. But Christian, you are on this way of faith don't let the devil distract you. Don't let him detour you. Your end is fixed. It's sure. It's all of grace. But it's possible to be waylaid. It's possible to get off course. If that's happened, come back. Come back. His grace invites you. And he'll get you back on track, if you will. If you'll hear and heed his call tonight. You know, we don't have to wait until heaven, to praise him forever. I'm going to ask Tommy and the praise team to come up. We don't got to wait till the end of our road to do what verse 9 talks about. Let's do it together now. Let's do it together tonight. Singing.